Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Playing On Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and thank you guys for joining me. Thank you. If you hear that little ambient buzz in the background, that's a heater because my basement is cold because it's December and it's getting cold in Ohio. I have some tea and some apple cider vinegar. Make me feel better. I've been kind of feeling like crap lately. Sorry I've been gone for so long um, with the holidays and family. Just trying to get everything in line. Um, but before we get into the episode, a quick thank you to our sponsors. Uh, we, this episode is brought to you by Dr. Paintball. And um, we've, been, uh, we've been doing a lot of stuff together with, uh, with Dr. Paintball. And we, we wanted to do something special for the listeners. And uh, all of the Playing On podcast listeners, now if you, uh, if you put in the promo code PLAYON, that's P-L-A-Y-O-N, at checkout at, uh, at drpaintball.com, with whatever order that you put in, uh, you will get a free bonus gift. I don't even know what the gift is, but it's a free bonus gift. But it's going to be pretty cool. So, uh, so make sure you head over there, drpaintball.com, and uh, check out all their goodies. They have new and used gear. Um, along with, they have, uh, they have something special coming in um, for, I believe, next year. Uh, they're, they're doing some... Uh, some kind of like I don't know I don't know if you would call it a sponsorship uh, thing but you got to check it out um, the more information they give me I will make sure to give you guys but like I said uh, use promo code PLAYON at uh, at checkout and you will get a free bonus gift when uh, when you buy anything off of the website Dr. Paintball Com. We are also brought to you by Charm City Paintball, and uh, we have been collaborating as well and been making pack bands. Um, you can find them over at my uh, my Facebook page at Carl Microwave Markowski, and um, I don't think he has any up on his. He might, um, but you can find him also at uh, Charm City Paintball on Facebook. Uh, but he has all kinds of head wraps, headbands. Um, all kinds of cool stuff, and it's all high quality. It's all limited runs, uh, so make sure you give him a give him a check out. Uh, it is Charm City Paintball uh, on Facebook as well as Instagram. So uh, thank you to Charm City. Also brought to you by Carbon, and uh, very cool what Carbon is doing. They've been putting out some new gear, um, a new CC line just underneath the SC line that has uh, gloves, pants, jersey. Uh, we also started making some uh, thermal pods that change color when they get too hot they start turning white and uh, so you know how to change out your paint during tournaments or anything so you don't keep too much paint on your back for too long um, but uh, also have a uh, backpack coming out a gear bag hopefully coming out soon all kinds of cool stuff make sure you check it out also if you uh, use the promo code capital TPOP at checkout you will get 10% off your entire order at uh, at Carbon Paintball, so that's pretty cool. So thank you to Carbon, and last but not least, thank you to Planet Eclipse, who have come out with the coolest mechanical frame for the G Tech. Uh, I have not yet got my hands on. Well, actually, I did shoot one, but I don't have one yet. But uh, you, you got to check it out, man. This thing is awesome. Uh, it shoots so smooth. I'm hyper about it because I can't shoot an autococker to save my life. 
And I know there's a bunch of old school guys that are like, oh, man, you, you came up in that era. Well, yeah, I did, but I just could not shoot an autococker. For some reason, I just couldn't shoot one. But uh, there's no way for you to short stroke this mechanical frame that Planet Eclipse came out with. And I'm digging it, man. I can't wait to play mechanical tournaments with it. Um, but check that out along with all kinds of cool gear over at planeteclipse.com. So that is all of the sponsors. But anyway, uh, this this episode I wanted to release more around Veterans Day. Uh, just because it's with my grandfather on my mother's side uh, who was in the Vietnam War. And uh, he was a radio operator in Vietnam. And I kind of wanted to do this for, uh, for all the military guys that listen and um, all the veterans out there uh, just because you know it, it there's a whole another story story side of it like my grandfather he doesn't really know too much about paintball but I'm, I'm you know he supports me and the same thing you know like I'm I'm totally interested in how he came up in the whole you know he is a bigger family I ended up going to the military played football and how that came about and I just I just wanted to do kind of a, a Veterans Day uh, episode. I know it's late, but here it is. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in and hope you enjoy. Hey. Well, Grandpa, thank you for sitting down with me. You're quite welcome. I've, uh, I've wanted to do this Veterans Day, but I'm a little but, uh, no, I just wanted to kind of talk to you because, um, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people do this, is they grow up, they grow up in a certain time period of when I was young and curious and I was, you know, wanting to know things, but it was, my direction wasn't going to the, the my grandparents or anything and learning their story or anything. It wasn't until later in my life until I started kind of having a story of my own of when I started becoming more and more curious of everybody else's story, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I wish I would have, you know, with like with great-grandma and every, I wish I would have mm-hmm. talked to them more about everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's kind of why I wanted to sit down with you is just because... Um, you know, we never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Correct. Right. And, and mm. you know, and I, I want to take advantage of every little minute that I have, especially with family mm-hmm. and be able to just sit and bullshit and just talk about anything. Mm-hmm. And um, you are a, uh, a Vietnam vet. Correct. And you've lived in Ohio your entire life. No, I moved to Kentucky for six years. That's right. That's right. <laughs> See, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already behind. Yeah. So let's let's start. Um. Let's go all the way back when when you were young. Uh, oh. Were you born in Toledo? Riverside Hospital, which is now closed. Was I drive by all the time, and it's creepy. They're on Interstate 280. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's So that's been there. You were born in 45. 45. 45? Mm-hmm. I asked Mom how old you yeah. were. So like, <laughs> 72. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy thinking about it, because mm-hmm. to me, you look the same. You've always yeah. looked the same to me. Mm-hmm. A lot more wrinkles than I used yeah, to. A couple. <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, I, I drive by that all the time, and mm. I see that hospital. It's just, it's just. I don't know what they want to do with it. I don't know if they're restoring it or what they're doing. No, you think they'd do something with it? Yeah, but it's an old hospital. You figure if I was born there in '45, it's and it was there a long time before I was there. Yeah, so. and you grew up in the house over on Valleywood. Um, yeah, I uh, started out on Foresight, but I don't remember it. I was, Mom said uh, that we. Uh, they had a house on Foresight, but I don't remember that. All I remember is Valleywood. And you're the the youngest? Or no. Mid? Um, Bobby's the youngest. Then Shelly's the next. And then uh, Sam, Donnie, then myself. Then Darlene, Norma, Arnie, and Howard. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why do you think people back then had uh, had so many kids? No TV. The entertainment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, it, I don't know. It, it, it was great growing up in a large family. Uh, I'm glad I did. I mean, we fought all the time with one another, but if somebody messed with you from the outside, mm -hmm. then they had nine kids that they had to... A gang, with. pretty yeah. much, to deal with. Yeah, but no, what, no. It, um, and we grew up, we're all very close. And... Uh, it's really neat growing up in a large family. Yeah. What would you say that your um, your financial status, I mean, were you middle class? Poor. Poor? Mm-hmm. I had one pair of pants and two shirts when I went to high school. Really? Yeah. One yeah. pair of shoes? Or how were they shared? Were they were any shoes or clothes shared? Well, yeah. No. Well, and a lot of times you wore hand-me-downs. Yeah. And like when I earned my first varsity letter, Arnie had already graduated from high school and had they had already gotten him a varsity jacket. Mm -hmm. They pulled his letter off and sewed my varsity letter on his jacket. <laughs> so I had hand me down varsity jacket. Yeah. So uh, growing up back then, uh, did you, was there a lot of, family things that the whole family went to i mean was it because now i think about it in like the cowell family reunion or even the lammy uh family mm -hmm. reunion it's just not even there anymore right um i, I mean there is some cowell you know christmases mm -hmm. and, and things like that but it's not anything like i remember when i was younger of just the hordes of people that would mm -hmm. get together and um it's kind of sad, you know, that nobody really gets together as often as I feel like they used to. Yeah, because uh, uh, we had family reunions at my Uncle Homer's house in uh, uh, Holland, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's times that Dad got ponies from Mittendorf, Clint Mittendorf in Pearson Park. And we took ponies out there to Uncle Homer's house. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we got to ride, ride the ponies and uh, had big cookouts and... Somewhere along the line, the brothers started not getting along, Dad and his brothers. Yeah. And everything just kind of diminished. And uh, we didn't have the big family reunions anymore. But that, that used to be a ball. Now, was great-grandpa and uh, grandma, were they from Ohio, or did they come uh, from My anywhere? parents? Yeah. Yeah. Dad grew up on Dearborn. Really? Yeah. Um, you know where the uh, pizza place is on... Star Avenue and Dearborn on that, or the the, the Bambino's, the Bambinos, right? That's right there. Uh, or it was Bambinos, or I don't know. There was a little pizza place that used to be a, used to be Getting's gas station. But it was that that corner. Yeah, right that, on that yeah. corner. Like, there was a 
pharmacy there now, and then right next to it's a there's a drive-through type thing. Mm-hmm. It used to be Gettings gas station, and then uh, about three doors down from that on Dearborn, heading toward my sister Norma's house mm-hmm. is where my dad grew up. I'm not sure where my mom grew up. No. Hmm. Yeah, I was. I, I always think about that, like, because um, I know on my dad's side it wasn't but i think great great grandparents came over from from hungary oh i didn't know that yeah and uh somewhere along the lines poland with the last name mm. so i know my mom's parents uh started out in indiana my and my grandfather was a railroader uh her dad yeah but uh I'm not sure what our heritage is. I've I've never looked it up. Yeah, uh, Tiff was talking to me about. She wants to get this like a, I don't know. It's like a. It's not. A, it is kind of I guess a DNA test. Mm-hmm. But it's um, just figuring out your, not your ethnicity, but what is your um, your heritage. Your heritage, yeah. Much. And she wanted she wanted to do that. And I was I'm I'm kind of curious too. I mean I, I know mm-hmm. that side, mm-hmm. but I mean I feel like. In some weird way, everybody is from everywhere just because of how many, you know, how, how many branches are in the tree, mm-hmm. you know. Um, going back to your childhood and uh, and all the brothers and sisters, uh, did you all attend the same school? Mm-hmm. We all went to Raymer, and then we all went to Wade High School. Everybody went to Wade. Mm-hmm. I think, well, and then Mom went to Wade, mm-hmm. and, and then I went to Wade. I don't know if Tiff's going to let Cooper go to wait now, the, the way it <laughs> yeah. is right now. Yeah. Um, so growing up in, uh, in, in middle school and grade school, did you play sports? Was everybody in sports or was everybody kind of doing something else? Arnie played uh, football. I played football, wrestled, ran track. Uh, Donnie didn't play. Sam played football. Bob didn't play. Of course, Howard didn't play. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, played. I started playing over at, uh, on the side of Raymer School probably when I was about six years old. You played with the big boys. Yeah. You got knocked down and you got hurt. You just got up and got back in there and went back at it again. I feel like there's another kind of sign of the times with all the the overprotection of everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking about football, I think um, – uh, I forget who I was talking to uh, about it with, but it was like they're they're making everything so much safer and so much safer, and I feel like it's making everything or or everybody who's playing the sport that much more eager to hit harder or or more illegal, you know, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but back then you couldn't do that because mm-hmm. I mean you could hit somebody hard, but you had to know how to hit them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's just like with any sport, with with hockey, or and you had to know, you had to be more finesse because the equipment wasn't up to date, or right. it was up to the date that then. But you know, you had to figure ways around it. And with football, you just had. I mean, were you wearing a leather helmet at the we time? Started out with leather helmet, yeah. Started out with leather helmet, and uh, a kid by the name of Jimmy Sadlack and I were playing freshman football. He was a ball carrier. I was the defender. He went low. I went low. We we cracked heads with our leather helmets and we snapped the chin straps both buttons on both helmets came <laughs> off we hit so hard yeah and uh mr wilhelm was the equipment manager at that time also a teacher 
And he said, if you guys are going to hit like that, he says, come with me. And we were the first freshmen to get cryolite helmets. Really? Yeah. We were the only two freshmen with varsity helmets. And then you were cracking everybody else's head with a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did, well, we taught that when you're, line, or when you're uh, running back, uh, you hit the line three yards, tuck down. If you don't feel any resistance, look up and look for daylight. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we were taught to run. See, I feel like it's different now. Um, everybody's heads up all the time, looking yeah. for a hole or looking for something to go around. Nobody's, mm. I mean, like um, a fullback. You know, the the small amount of football that I watch now, uh, I feel like there's no fullback at mm. all in the game. No, uh, and that's what it used to be. But I mean, I feel it felt like back then, at least some of the footage that I've seen, a lot of it was like ninety percent running. Yeah, and maybe ten percent passing or something mm-hmm. like that, and yeah. now it's just completely, I think, like flipped. Yeah, it was least, all running back in the day. Yeah, was uh, at this time. Let's see. At this time, were uh, were any of your brothers or sisters, or any of your brothers in the military, or going into the military, or how did how did the military influence you, or or come to you? Uh, I couldn't get along with mom and dad, so I went in the Marine Corps. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, we were we were fighting a lot, and after I went in, Donnie went into the army, and Sam went into the army. We were and we were all three in Vietnam at the same time. Really? Yeah, three brothers in Vietnam all at the same time. Was that the only option that you kind of told yourself at that time? Was well, you know, if I'm not getting along with my parents, I'm going to join the military. Or did you ever think about maybe like moving out west or? No, no, no. Toledo was my roots and. Uh, I had no clue what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. I had no goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just going to military, and I liked the, uh, the Marine Corps. I liked their uniforms. Uh, I liked the discipline, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's why I decided to go in the Marine Corps. Did they recruit like they did now, back then, with people coming to the high schools and, mm-hmm. and having like recruitment offices and whatnot? Yeah. I mean, it was, I almost went to the military. I was thinking about mm-hmm. it after high school. It was either move to Seattle or, uh, you know, and, and go after my paintball career mm-hmm. or go to college, you know, go to a Tiffin University, a smaller college, right. or join the military. And I told my mom, if I joined the military, I wanted to join the Marines because you were in it and my real mm-hmm. dad was in it. And um, I really felt like just uh, going down that path. And she wasn't a big fan yeah. of, <laughs> of of that, um, especially joining the Marines. You have nothing against them. I think they're they're the well, baddest ones on the planet. I really think everybody should have to go in the military. As soon as they get out of high school, do two, three years in any branch of service that they choose mm-hmm. because you learn so much respect. And we wouldn't have the disrespect we have today with with people. Uh, the discipline you're you're being told when to eat, when to go to the bathroom, when to sleep, and you you're being that, forced to schedule. Yeah, you're you're forced to do that, and then you you get out, and then you realize how much freedom you do have uh, once you're out of the military. But you learn a lot of respect for other people, mm-hmm. and uh, to give an example. You're told to say, sir, the first word in your mouth is, sir. Mm-hmm. Sir this, sir that, whatever it may be. 
We were at a swimming pool, jumping off a three-meter board with full gear. You had to go to, in 10 foot of water, go down, release all your gear, and come up and swim to the side. And one kid went in, come up, was drowning. And it was, sir, help, sir, help. First word out of his mouth was sir. Hmm. It was crazy. But it was, sir, help, sir, help. And you learn that discipline. Yeah. And uh, when I was coaching football, I'd, uh, the kids picked up on that, the military uh, status that I was. And they were calling me sir. And one parent come down to the field and said, what are you doing to my child? As we were trying to teach him football, respect. He said, he's sitting at the table last night and <coughs> excuse me and we asked him do you want more potatoes he says yes sir uh, his mother asked do you want some dessert yes ma'am he mm -hmm. says my kid doesn't do that <laughs> and he took from the football field he took that home and it just surprised the hell out of their parents because he's going yes ma'am no sir yes sir and I thought that was pretty cool that the kids picked up on that oh yeah it makes you feel good yeah it does make you feel good the, the kids went home and showing, showing respect to their parents. I thought that was really cool. Well, and I think anybody in a position of um, where they're looked up to or, mm -hmm. they're, or they're looked to for guidance, I think has a giant responsibility on their shoulders, no matter if you're a t-ball coach, if you're a high school coach, mm -hmm. if you're a parent. I mean, you, that child, that little person is looking up to you for direction. Mm -hmm. And if you give them that direction, I mean, they're... I mean, you've, you know, have kids and grandkids and you know that they are constantly learning and constantly looking to be pointed in a direction and, um, in any way possible, if you can help direct them in the right, in the right ways, it's tremendous. Yeah. See with the single parents that you have today, whether it be a single dad, single mom, uh, both parents working all the time, kids are, they're home alone where if they would get that military experience and learn that discipline, mm -hmm. I think they'd be a, a heck of a lot better off, in my opinion. Yeah. But, uh, you know, how's, how's a parent going to discipline you at home when dad's working a job, mom's working a job, you're lucky if you sit down and have supper together, you know, it's, it's not a good situation. No, and I, and I think what uh, attributes to that is the internet itself, mm -hmm. I feel, and having, you know, the devices in our hands and that instant gratification of, you know, of social media, and you, and you don't have any of that, so you're, you don't really, you're seeing it from an, kind of from an outsider's perspective, but everybody's doing it, you yeah. know what I mean, so you're seeing everybody do it, mm -hmm. and me, because I, I have all the social medias and everything, I don't have them all, I have some that I like to do, um, but uh, I mean, I, I, I catch myself at times just mindlessly scrolling sometimes like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not producing anything. I'm not learning anything. I'm, I'm just looking for a quick, oh, hey, I like that. Oh, that's cool. Okay, I'll comment on this, do whatever. It's, it's not, I'm not learning anything. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not producing anything. And I, I really try with my social medias of what I do is I try and take more pictures, enjoy the moment more, oh, yeah. share the moment more, you know, and instead of, you know, all the other stuff that everybody else is doing mm -hmm. of just trying to get their point across or trying to get their two cents in. Mm -hmm. I don't like doing that. I like just, I like creating content. 
for people to enjoy, like doing stuff like this. People, you know, have car rides and are at work doing, you know, sometimes mindless things. And if they can tune into this and kind of get insight or information or just enjoy the conversation, I feel like that's my two cents, but I'm not pushing it on anybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's informative. Um, and I, you know, about the whole military thing, I've, I've heard that from multiple people. I've heard that from my stepdad, uh, Chris, and, and from a few other people who have been in the military. Um, have said that you know some people out of high or everyone out of high school should go right to the military to get mm. that uh, if they're not getting it from home to get that kind of disciplinary those actions mm-hmm. set into place. And I, I'm like I'm, I think I'm fifty fifty about it just for the simple fact that I feel like if it were like that I don't think we would have the artist that we have or the musicians or because everybody has such a different path, mm-hmm. right? And it's those paths create our character and create who we are. Mm-hmm. And if everybody were to go to the military, everybody would have that same path. But if everybody didn't go to the military or you didn't have one, it would be chaos. Well, like I say, if it was a, even if it was a one-year stint, two-year stint, mm-hmm. you know, it was not like you'd... Uh, <clears throat> mine was uh, three years, but I think the standard is four years. And... You know, I'm not saying to send them for four years, right? But, you know, and not go to combat, but just go through, well, even just to go through the basic training. You know, uh, you you learn a lot in basic training. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also uh, you learn the use of a firearm, the proper use of a firearm, uh, which the is a huge deal hit. nowadays. Yeah, and you learn and... how to use it safely mm-hmm. and. And, you know, you learn not to point it at somebody and, you know, every Unless gun you is you, it, yeah. you put in your hands, as far as you're concerned, it's loaded mm-hmm. until you find out that it's not unloaded or yeah. that it's not loaded. And uh, I've taught my kids, even Carrie and Vicki, when we were down in Kentucky, I taught them, you know, proper gun use. And I went hunting with Vicki, your mom, and one of the safest hunters I ever went with. Mm-hmm never pointed a gun at me. And uh, we went deer hunting, and uh, she's probably 12 years old, 13 years old, something like that. One of the safest hunters I've ever been with. Yeah. It was crazy. Well, I, I think the biggest thing nowadays, my grandpa lives right next to train tracks, so that's probably <laughs> what you're gonna hear. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, because it would drive me nuts. Um, but, uh, but I think one of the biggest things right now is happening is this whole um, firearms debate mm-hmm. and um, I carry a firearm I don't have it with me now mm-hmm. I normally have it on me all the time um, but I, I think the biggest thing is is that when somebody has never been informed about a firearm or mm-hmm. has never fired a firearm or been around them I, I think people are scared oh yeah you know, and, and they think they hear the word gun and you know it's like for me, for paintball, what I'm trying to do is instead of people saying, well, my paintball gun, my paintball gun, this and that, like just say, because we're trying to hit it mainstream with paintball. It's still not big. And I'm trying to ease it into the mainstream. And I keep trying to say, let's say paintball marker, you know, because that's what it is. Yeah. It's not as scary when you say it because just the word gun, it makes people uneasy. Um, but uh, but I, people are so afraid of it. And I, I think that's the thing is when they hear all these shootings and everything that's happening, it's like, if if something was going down and and I had my pistol on me 
I would make sure that it did not get out of hand. I mean, I, I've never been in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. But you, you carry a firearm for the maybes, the just-in-cases, mm-hmm. right? You you don't – I carry it – what's the saying that I say? It's – it's uh, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Right. Kind of a thing. Yeah. And for everybody that's just so against them, I just – I can I can kind of see it. But, you know, I I protect myself. You know, I – I try not to be put in those situations. It's not like we're looking for trouble or situations to be in. I just I want to protect myself and my family. Well, I've got a nine millimeter that sits on the nightstand at night. That's what I have, yeah. And my closest neighbor is quarter mile away, either direction. Yeah, you're far. You're you're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I'm out here on four acres, out in the middle of nowhere, and somebody could kick my door in in the middle of the night, and uh, the dog will alert me, and mm-hmm. that because I sleep like a a rock. I I'd hear nothing, but yeah. I. He, but he gives off blood curdling barks, and mm-hmm. that wakes me up, and I'd be able to defend myself. If I didn't have a weapon, I'd be toast. Yeah. And how many shootings have you heard of? Where, uh, what was it out in Waterville, where that couple uh, got killed, and they uh, tied and gagged them, they raped the mother, they raped the daughter, and then they end up shooting them. Yeah. You know, that's that's crazy, and I hear people say. I don't care what, I would never shoot somebody else. They would die before they would shoot someone that else. That makes zero just, sense to me. I, just, I, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. I want to live. Yeah. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to have my head banged in with a hammer or a club mm-hmm. or I don't want to be shot. Yeah. Oh, if it's going to be me or you, it's going to be you. It's going to be you. <laughs> yeah. It ain't going to be me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I hope, you know, knock on wood that I'm never in a situation like right. that. But I... Why you would not want to protect yourself or be protected, or your children, or your, or children. your family, you know, your yeah. wife, your your husband, your your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to stand there and watch your kids be murdered because you can't pull the trigger? Uh, I don't understand that. That's that's beyond my comprehension. Yeah, and I mean, it's it, you know, everybody's like, well, you know, the odds aren't there that it's going to happen to you. It's you're more mm-hmm. likely to hit the lottery, and this and that. I was like, okay, I can see that, but. At any given point, somebody with their car could be like, eh, I don't feel like living anymore. And on mm. a country road or any road, fly head on to mm. the person in front of them just because they want to. I mean, is that unlucky? <coughs> you know, are, are you unlucky mm. at that point? Or is it just mm. happenstance that it, you know? So the, at, at any given point, something could happen. So how many programs you see on TV where uh, people had a tragic situation? They said... This doesn't happen to us. This happens to other people. Yeah. Well, you could be that other people. It's like a it's like a house fire. Right. Same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, if at any point, you know, sometimes I don't know. It's kind of weird to say, but sometimes, just because it's so unknown, like sometimes I'll drive. You know, I'll be with the family and we'll be coming home, and sometimes, I, I, I feel like I'll come home and the house will be on fire. Yeah. Just, just, just because you don't know, because anything could happen, and it's like, I would like, I, I guess I'm saying it like I wouldn't be surprised if it did, because anything can happen. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's you know, and that not to go too deep into a rabbit hole, but this whole um, Las Vegas shooting thing, mm-hmm. and 
um, I don't know how big you are into um, conspiracy theories or anything like that, <laughs> but I like having all the information. Yeah. And I know that the news isn't going to give us all the information, mm. and I know that the internet isn't going to give us all the mm. information, and not all the information is going to be right on both ends. Um, so I can't say whether or not everything is guaranteed and true of what it is or what we're told. Um, but a lot of it and a lot of the things that have happened, you know, you got you got to look at from a couple of different angles. Like, okay, well, I, you know, did that guy do it on his own? And how did he get everything up there? And there's just a lot of questions, right? Well, I, can, I can give you an example. Lee Harvey Oswald, assassination of John F. Kennedy. Which he's releasing. Uh, Trump is releasing all the Yeah, all and papers. I was uh, coming out of the chow hall. I was in boot camp, coming out of the chow hall. What, what year was this? 1963. I'm thinking of when you got in. Yeah, yeah. I think it was November of 63 that, uh, that he was shot, if I'm not mistaken. And Lee Harvey Oswald, the Warren Commission report, says Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone shooter. <clears throat> Lee Harvey was in the Marine Corps. Lee Harvey was a marksman. If I sat here and took my pistol and shot at that wall and hit it somewhere, i get scored as a marksman. Mm-hmm. I can hit that corner somewhere. There's a bullseye on the wall, but if I hit that target somewhere, I'm a marksman. At least to the standards back then. Yeah, and you shoot from two, three, and 500 yards with the M14 rifle. Mm-hmm. The next step up is a sharpshooter. You have to start hitting the bullseye as a sharpshooter. Then there's an expert. I shot expert three times. 250 points maximum that you can uh, accumulate. I shot 242, 243, and 243. And that's shooting from 200, 300, and 500 yards with an M14 rifle. To this day, I cannot hit a moving target. <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald, who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a rifle and the bold action at that, yeah, hit the president in a moving vehicle. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. Yeah, It's just too far-fetched. With two shots. With two shots. Yeah, because the first one like hit his neck yeah. or something. It hit his neck and went through, and the second one hit him and in the head. And then they showed that <clears throat> the president, the, uh, I've seen video on it where the back of the president's head was blown out. And a bullet hole entering the front of the, the forehead and exiting the back. Right. Now, if Lee Harvey Oswald shooting from behind, how did the explosion come out of the back of his head? Anybody that knows anything about ammunition's Weapons, knows that. Ballistics, anything, yeah. Ballistics. It's a small hole entry, large hole coming out. Yeah. So somehow he got the bullet to come around to the front and go through his forehead and out the back of his head. So, yeah, I believe in conspiracy. Mm-hmm. That When yeah. I heard that he was getting, uh, when he was releasing all those, I was, I was very, very interested in that. Yeah, I am too. And, uh, you know, because the whole thing, I, I feel like they were um, so quick to point the blame. Mm-hmm. Two on Lee Harvey, and I don't know, just 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 not right. So that that's my biggest belief that there's no way in hell that he could have made that shot, just because I know Marine Corps standards, right? And I know what a marksman is. I know what a sharpshooter is. I know what an expert. I was invited when I was over in Okinawa. I was invited to come back to Camp Perry and shoot with the Marine Rifle Team. Really? Mm-hmm. And I decided to go on and float, and we ended up in the coastal waters of Vietnam instead. But <laughs> well, I had a chance to come back. Let's uh, let's let's go back to that when you um, 
when you uh, voluntarily enlisted. Mm-hmm. And um, what was that experience like? What was uh, did you get right into boot camp? Did you what, what was that whole experience like in the beginning? Well, you uh, you sign up, and uh, a friend of mine, Terry Hager, and I signed up together, and. You, it's called the buddy system. You were guaranteed that you would go through boot camp together. And I think your first duty station, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I had an incident in boot camp where I kind of got separated. I got thrown in the brig for seven days. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. For fighting. I was going to say, was it a fight? <laughs> it was fighting, yeah. I got attacked in the shower and I fought back. And both of us ended up going to the brig for seven days. So... He moved on and I got dropped back two weeks. Uh, got on the bus in San Diego, went to uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, California. And the sergeant come into the airport and who's all going to Marine Corps? And I ain't going, oh, come on you guys, we'll get on the bus and you know we'll take you over the, we'll get you started and just nonchalant. Uh, no, over to Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego. Camp Pendleton is, is an advanced training and permanent base. That's right. They have a paintball field up there. That's yeah. the only reason I know. So they're just, the sergeant, just as cordial as can be. Yeah. And then the door shut on the bus. <laughs> he wasn't cordial anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he called us everything but white people. <laughs> Sweetheart. I looked at him and he looked at me and the uh, kid I went in with, what did we get into? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and they, you get off at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot, you get off the bus, you stand on little feet painted on the ground, which are about this, the front guy and the back guy is about this far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you go in and get your haircut. It takes you about three seconds to get a haircut. I was say you sit down and you get right back. Yeah, you just zip, 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 and you're done. Get your uniforms. And uh, all hell breaks loose from that time on. So is it, um, from there, is it pretty much just day and night doing drills? And I, I've, I've seen some stuff on it because it's always been curious to me because um, I'm actually the first generation now of mm. a family that hasn't gone to the military, which sucks because I want to continue mm. it. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, my path is, is a little bit different. Um but uh, when and how far into it were you until you got the news that you were going to, uh, to Vietnam? Um, about the second year I was in. When you get into boot camp, you, they give you a bright yellow uh, Marine Corps USMC t-shirts and your uniforms are bright green. They haven't been washed. Your utility uniforms aren't even washed yet. Your boots are all scuffy. They're not spit shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, they end up pulling your hat down over your head and over your ears. You look like a dork. <laughs> and then units that have been in boot, there's 12 weeks of boot camp. And units that have been in five, six, seven weeks come marching by and they're just sharp and all right together. Mm-hmm. And uh, the drill instructor is calling cadence and, and you're trying to find your rhythm <laughs> duping down the road with this hat that's down over your ears you, you look like a dork and uh you're going man i'll never be like that mm-hmm. but they whip you into shape and uh i was fortunate i got invited to a drill instructor's home after i got out of boot camp and they explained why they do what they do he says if you ever end up in combat you'll see 
why we do what we do to you guys in boot camp. Mm-hmm. And it saved my life. Yeah, I've seen that a bunch of where they they tear you down and build you back build up. Build you to, back up again. To build your character to be able to make those right decisions mm-hmm. at the right moments because um, it's not it's not the individual over the group. It's mm-hmm. it's the group over the individual. You mm-hmm. want to look out for that group and you need to make the decisions based on how to help the group survive. Well, we're sitting in Da Nang, Vietnam, and we're in 12-man tent, and we got hit, uh, was there a month and one day, we got hit by 81-millimeter mortars, and uh, we had just finished playing guitars about 11 o'clock at night. We were in the camp, we were in a graveyard, it was our camp, we was uh, part of a perimeter defense for Da Nang Air Base. About 11.30 at night, one of our uh, fellow Marines that was slept in that 12-man tent, come running in and said, hit the deck, hit the deck. That's all he said. Eleven of us rolled out of our cots, and just as we rolled out of our cots, we took a direct hit in the corner of our tent. Not a single guy was injured. Hmm. But you learn that do that. You don't, you don't stop to ask. Yeah. You just do what you're told to do now and save our lives. So it, it proved what the drill instructor said. So what was it like after... Um after boot camp, and you you find out that you're uh, you're going over to Vietnam, what was it like getting on that plane, or was it a plane or was it a boat? Boat with three thousand Marines. <laughs> How long was the boat ride? Thirty days. Wow. A long trip. What was that like? Uh, a little seasick, not not bad. Uh, when you fall asleep at night, you you're not seasick anymore, and you wake up the next morning and you go, oh, I'm on board a ship. Then all of a sudden, seasickness sets in. Yeah. I served mess duty for 30 days. So I went in about 4 o'clock in the morning. We served breakfast. By the time you got all cleaned up after breakfast, it was time to serve lunch. Then it was time to serve supper. Then it was time to go to bed and get back up 4 o'clock in the morning and start all over again. Hmm. So so you landed in uh, you landed in Vietnam. Da Nang, Vietnam. Da Nang. And... Um, was everything where you landed? Was it was it already settled and it's secured? Yeah, secured and uh, and you said you were over there for about a month. Pardon me. How long were you over there for? Six months. Six months. Yeah. And uh, besides the uh, the mortar fire, did you guys did you see any combat or we received machine gun fire? We were, I say, we were part of a perimeter defense. Um, we were ten miles out, if I recall. And <clears throat> there was villages all in between. There was Marines that uh, surround the air base a mile out, three miles out, seven miles out, ten miles out. So it, so it was just a kind of a semicircle. Right. But there was villages in between, and we drew machine gun fire fire from the villages. And uh, before we could fire upon the enemy, uh, we had a bunker, and I was in tanks. We had a bunker, then we dug a tank actually dug a tank into the ground so it could traverse down into a ravine. Really? And then another bunker, another tank. Then there was a another unit of anti-tanks. And then on our other side coming around was amphibious tractors. We was on a finger coming out from Hill 327 in Da Nang. And there was three fingers, and we were on the center finger. So there were draws in between the fingers yeah. coming out. And the whole finger was covered by anti-tanks, tanks, and amphibious tractors and uh, 
to fire our weapons out of that bunker you had a crank telephone called a double E8 and you called the switchboard we actually had a switchboard in our encampment mm -hmm. and all the phones were connected from all the bunkers into that switchboard switchboard got a hold of the corporal of the guard corporal of the guard got a hold of sergeant of the guard sergeant of the guard got a hold of the officer of the day officer of the day would get a hold of the commander of your unit commander of the unit would call the 3rd marine division headquarters to see if there's any friendly troops in the area to fire the first bullet to fire the first bullet and this is all the time you're being attacked yeah okay now <clears throat> the tank gunner has a rangefinder inside the tank tour and he can with a um, radar signal shoot a signal out to a tree it comes back and says the tree's at 100 yards uh, that rock is at 25 yards whatever mm -hmm. and he would plot this on a map so that within the first round he can pretty much hit what he's looking at first time because back then, i mean and we're talking about 60 65 65 so there's no it's very basic very basic military i mean were there even computers being used or was it i mean mm -hmm. very no. it was more so, like not sonar but um it was just a radar radar yeah. that they that, shoot out and it, you know, it would ping back and, and he had to physically map it out and actually map it out yeah you would draw a picture of his how far his tank turret could traverse yeah and up and down so forth <clears throat> and we were hit we got hit with the 81 millimeter mortars we lost some guys died a lot of guys got a whole lot of shrapnel in their backs and back of their head and their legs and exactly in the back of their legs yeah because they got up and ran which you're told never run while you're under a bomb attack yeah you stay in one spot cover your head and just but the uh, just a uh, trying to think. I think it was just a couple of weeks after we got hit with A1 million motors, we got hit with oh probably 15, 20 machine guns out of the village. Yeah. And nobody called anybody. Yeah. You just let it fly. Because the, what had happened when we got mortared, one tank gunner saw the tube flashes from the mortars. Yeah. That's the one where they drop it in the tube and then turn away. Yeah. And you hear that little thump. Yep. Well, he saw it. So he, he said, knew it was coming. He knew where they were coming from. He, he spotted it probably about after the first five or six rounds hit. He spotted the, the tube flashes. Yeah. The, the sergeant, which was the tank commander, said, we can't fire until we get go through the proper authorities. While you're under fire. While we're under fire. While we're getting guys killed. Yeah. So... The gunner says, Sarge, I'm going to load, and I'm going to, I'm going to take these guys out. The sergeant pulled his pistol, put it to the back of his head, and said, if you fire this tank, he says, I will shoot you for disobedience of a lawful order in a combat zone. No, I swear to God, that's what happened. And this is all inside of a tank Yeah. while you're sitting there. And we found out, we found out about it the next morning. <clears throat> and we locked and loaded our weapons. And headed down, we heard that the sergeant was down at the the uh, commanding officer's tent, and the whole encampment locked and loaded. We was going to shoot him. Yeah. We was going to shoot him because we lost our friends. And there was about 21 MPs surrounded him. He had his sea bags all packed. They put him into a jeep, 
several Jeep convoys, got him out of there because he was a dead man. We was gonna kill him. Yeah. Because he let other people die, because he he was afraid to say go ahead and I'll worry about the consequences because his later. his repercussions yeah. were going. He was gonna have to deal with the repercussions. Yeah. Not the guys who were actually gonna follow through with. Yeah. There was. Uh, that was, that I don't understand nice. the. I don't understand the, the thinking. I, I can understand if there's friendlies there, mm. but if if you're in a direction and that's I don't know. I mean, maybe yeah, our friendlies know. wouldn't be shooting mortars at you. Exactly. Point. They got into firefights. Now, actually, guys on different fingers actually got into firefights with one another. Yeah. Friendly to friendly firefights. So, is there any way or any kind of indication that you would put out? Just like as maybe the firefights going on, or when you mm. first hear the fires, is there? I mean, I don't know if it's military protocol or what it is exactly. Like to throw some kind of a signal or do something to say, "Hey, this is us." No, and then they if they were, know, they were so they were so screwed up, so confused that <laughs> <laughs> they they didn't really know what they were doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's they're kids. Yeah. Right? I mean, you were. Well, the the troops know what they were doing. Right. The people in charge didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. You know they they were trying to be so proper and and like we would stand. They, you got what's called a uh, CG inspection, a commanding general's inspection, and we had a commanding general come into a graveyard, and we're sleeping on tents in tents, and hold what they call a uh, uh, junk on the bunk inspection. Which is you have to you have a, a book a guidebook and it tells you how to lay everything out. All your clothing is marked with your name. All your clothes has to be folded so your name shows and your socks go here and your jacket goes here and your your helmet or your hat goes here, and it all has to be laid out. And you had to make your cot up like a military bed, and then lay all these things out so this commanding general can come through and inspect us to see if you have all your shit together. And while he was walking through the camp, he kind of got shot at by some Viet Cong, and he took off, and we all stood there and laughed. He goes, you know, because he's wearing all of his. Yeah, uh, you, you're an idiot. You know, we're we're on dirt ground, and you're holding the commanding general's inspection. Come on, you know, I mean that's just you know that's stupid shit. Yeah, that's just stupid stuff. Well, that's why I don't understand. Like, when something like that happens, like what is going through? somebody's head when you're when you're yeah. doing a, an inspection and there's Viet Cong on the other side that are just getting ready to, to fire but you want to make sure that everybody's cot is made up yeah that just doesn't make any sense to me well they uh, decided to get us off the dirt and get us up on platforms mm -hmm. so the graveyard sloped off like so so are you calling the graveyard because it was it a physical it, it graveyard a, yeah yeah we were in a graveyard. That was our encampment. So they built a platform for the first, the middle tents, about a foot off the ground. And of course, you don't want the tents to be going downhill. So you kept them all nice and level, nice and military-like. Yeah. So when you get out here and you're about less than a hundred yards from the enemy, you were six, seven feet up off the ground. <laughs> you were sitting duck. Yeah. But it looked military. Okay. So I paid to take guys. I was a radio operator. And we had a real deep bunker all enclosed in sandbags and 
roof on it the whole nine yards. Now, did you want to be a radio operator? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, I paid to set guys radio watch so I didn't have to sleep in my tent. I stayed underground all the time. Yeah. Yeah, let, let them dummies sit up. <laughs> they want to lay, sit up seven feet up off the ground and be a sitting duck, they, so be it, but not me. Yeah, no thanks. No. So how long were you on the island before before you you seen uh, combat? One month and one day, exactly. What time of the day was it? Was it the mortar? Was the mortar, the mortar fire rounds? That was the first time. Yeah, that you we saw had, it was only hit twice in six months. Is with uh, the mortars and the machine gun fire. We never overran or anything like that. No. I mean, did that kind of put things into perspective for you mm-hmm. when you were there? Yeah. Yeah, and. Um, I've seen pictures of other units that where the Viet Cong had actually got into their camp and uh, a lot of dead bodies and showed how they bury them. They just dig a big trench and throw all the bodies in the trench and cover it up. So they did bury them though? Oh yeah. Bury them right on the site. Or you know, outside their encampment, but they right. just took bulldozers and dug trenches, threw them in, then pushed the door, dirt over the top of them. I mean, because I've heard stories... Um, because my father-in-law, his father was a um, was in Vietnam, and I forget what it's called, but they were doing um, they were going out to D.C. and they get together every once in a while, and they all kind of uh, just reminisce and get together. And um, he was talking to me that there's a guy that he he sees all the time there, and he just opens up. Every time that he gets to the meeting, because it's other guys that are around that have been in the same situation, mm. but um, whenever I guess whenever he goes home, he just doesn't talk about it, doesn't do anything. Yeah. But I guess he was a he was a POW, and um, that they he was in literally a bamboo cage, mm-hmm. and what, I forget what he was saying. What what was happening to him? But he had like shoots ran into his fingernails mm. or something like that. I just, oh yeah. Dude. I'll tell you a story about uh, a kid come up and got we had an enlisted man's club the bamboo and then a, a thatched roof on it mm-hmm. we were allowed two beers a night and uh, one of the guys come up and young kid he was 18 I was 19 or 20 he said I gotta talk to you and went up to the enlisted man's club it was after hours <clears throat> and he started crying. I says, what the hell's going on? He says, I shot a baby today. He was out on patrol with the tanks, and he'd uh, come under machine gun fire. So the tank fired back at a grass hut, which happened to be concrete reinforced, and it shot a second round at the concrete in- enforcement, and the Viet Cong come out with babies in her arms and spraying machine guns. He said, and they were running right at him. He said, what do I do? Do I stand there and let them shoot me because they got a baby in her arms, or do I shoot back? He shot back and killed the Viet Cong and the baby. It just tore his ass up. And just sat there and bawled like a baby. And back here in the United States at that time, they were calling servicemen in, in Vietnam baby killers. Now some some guys you know went wacko over there. There's no question about it, but nobody in my unit did. 
that I seen why I was six months over there. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was under control, but uh, but everybody handles it differently. Yeah, I mean, combat is combat, no matter how you put it, whether it's hand to hand, whether it's far away. Um, but uh, you know, I, I can't imagine taking somebody's life in a situation like that, let alone a child's a life child, or a yeah. baby's life. Because I've, I've heard stories too where um, where a platoon would be walking on a dirt road um, to the woods or, or, or the forest or whatever, and they'd be walking by rice paddies and, and fields and whatnot, and there'd be workers, and the workers would look at them or whatever and see them. And then the next day, they would go by, and that worker would pull a machine gun out Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's I can't imagine that surrounding because it's like one day you're seeing all these people that you don't know whether or not they're the enemy, and then the next day they are, or they're not, and they have. I think it's kind of the same thing that's happened or happening in in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the everywhere. same things happening. The same thing. I mean, you're in the middle of their town in their area, mm-hmm. and they're all watching you. Then the next minute, you see the guy you saw yesterday, and he's strapped with a bomb, and he runs at your tank or, or whatever, and it's just, you, you you don't know. Well, they worked uh, rice paddies right up to us within 50 feet of our compound. <sighs> and then they'd, at the end of the day, they throw the hole over their shoulder and start pacing off how far it is to our fence line. Did you and see it to, happen physically? Yeah, and that's how they set the mortars, because when they hit the tents, they hit every other tent. They didn't hit every single tent. Yeah. They just went every other because when the mortar round goes off and it sprays out, if you hit the second tent, it's going to get the first and the third. You know, the the, the shrapnel the shrapnel's going to come out and get the first and the third. So all they had to do is just hit every other. And there's really nothing you can do. I mean. No. There's nothing you can do. See, you know, I, there was such a big, with Vietnam, there was such a big kit back in America with with the war and I mean then there's there's everybody saying things like baby killer and, and you know and um, but you're physically there and you're seeing what is actually happening and having to deal with that and really know what's going on and and you get to the point where you don't care if you live or die really you actually yeah uh, like we heard what was going on stateside and then I wasn't getting any letters from home. You didn't uh, feel the support? No, no support. And then uh, girlfriend sent me a Dear John, you know, the whole nine yards, and you finally just say, screw it, you know. Uh, when you smoke, you're supposed to cover your... Uh, your cherry. The cherry so you... part of it, so, because it could be seen up to a mile away from what they say. Yeah. And hell, I sitting on top of the bunker shooting me, you son of a bitch, mm-hmm. you know, and just cocky as hell and didn't give a shit, whatever. And then, uh, what's cool about it is I get ready to leave and I just got off of guard duty at night. We set guard duty into bunkers <clears throat> when I wasn't sitting radio watch. And the sergeant said, you need to go up on a work detail up the uh, the enlisted man's club and I said I just got off guard duty I shouldn't have to go on a work detail mm-hmm. I was mad he said I'm telling you get your ass up there to the club so I went up there expecting I'm going to go on a work detail and they took the tables and covered them in the blankets with our blankets and we had we, we moved the whole third tank battalion mess hall everything to Vietnam so we had 
we had good food there right. actually and living in a graveyard we had good food and they had made me a big sheet cake because it was getting i was getting short and getting ready to pull out of vietnam and it had a big tank on it and it said happy birthday short timer <laughs> sit there and cry like a baby <laughs> so that's how, so we had cake and beer <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good birthday. Yeah, it was it was really great because I was getting ready to turn twenty one, I believe, when I was getting. Uh, yeah, I think I was getting ready to turn twenty one. So they made me a big uh, battalion bakery, made me a big sheet cake, and that's you know and that's what your the buddies do for you, the yeah. the enlisted guys that you work with, you know. But as far as we had officers at night would get in their little group and we had one colonel that would come sit with the enlisted men now that colonel you'll follow him to hell mm -hmm. because you knew where he was coming from you knew that you could trust him but these officers over here sitting in the in the officers club and not even bother to come over to say hello to you or whatever you know you wouldn't trust him as far as you could throw him mm -hmm. but this colonel you had his back, and he had yours. Yeah, there, so there's something that I've been I've been hearing a lot lately, and um, there's a book I've been wanting to read called Tribe, and it's the the premise is that um, that human beings aren't meant to be so spread out or individual, mm -hmm. right? It, it's like in a group of like fifty to two hundred and fifty people, and that's really when you get that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning and mm. that that what you contribute really matters mm. you know and and i was was curious to ask you this um because i've heard it from from some other people is that not necessarily do you miss the environment mm. but do you miss being around the guys no not really no no but it if war broke out in the United States, I'd, I'd want to go fight with a Marine. Yeah. I'd want to stand next to a Marine. I wouldn't want to stand, because I had friends that went into the Army, brothers that went in the Army, and their discipline level was a lot less than what the Marine Corps discipline level, level is. Mm -hmm. And I would want to, I'd, I'd go fight, and I'd want to fight next to a Marine. Yeah. And they, you know, they got the saying, Semper Fi, Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful. You're always faithful to the United States Marine Corps. And I got an opportunity to see the wall when it came, the Vietnam Wall, when it came here to, to uh, Toledo. Mm -hmm. And there were two Marines that were showing the wall and not in uniform. They were uh, retired Marines. And you got hugs and they said, I love you, man. And you just you just tear up. It's just something. And anytime you see a marine, you see a marine hat or a Semper Fidelis hat or whatever, you instantly can strike up a conversation. Mm -hmm. You have something in common. You have that bond, just like a police officer, fire department. Yeah. You know, you have that bond with the people you work with. That common ground. That's and you're proud. You're oh proud. yeah. And you're definitely proud. No matter what we went through, no matter the asses that we had to deal with in the upper ranks you're still proud to be yeah. that united states marine it's pretty cool so when you got out and you got home um did you feel like it did it take a while to kind of get 
you know, yeah. your wheels going again. <laughs> Any loud bang, you was on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same yeah. thing with like, were you waking up in the middle of the night? No, I, I didn't have like I didn't have nightmares because uh, uh, the night that we were mortared, I'd seen one guy being carried out by a friend of mine uh, being carried out, and he was pretty much blown to pieces, and they was getting him to a helicopter for evacuation, mm-hmm. and uh, went through about a pack to two packs of cigarettes in about an hour, just. You yeah, know, you're shaking. You you really start to shake bad after after you get hit. Do those visuals ever come back or anything? Mm-hmm. No, not really. Not anymore. I can remember them, but right, it, it doesn't bother me. I was sent there to do a job, and I did my job, and come home. I didn't have PTSD or. You think you were one of the more fortunate ones? Yeah. Not not as far as as living, but I but I mean just. Um, you know, not having you know so many of the of what other people went through or, or had to deal with or still yeah they still may have fought with. day in day out you know yeah day after day they were under attack or something and uh, we didn't have that well to to say more about the powers to be mm-hmm. we landed a battalion of marines all the tanks I had a jeep a radio jeep. And there's no docks in Da Nang like the movie show, and there's no girls waiting for you on the beach. <laughs> it was an amphibious landing on the beach at Da Nang, and we drove down next to the Da Nang Air Base down Highway 1, which is one of the most volatile areas in Da Nang with no ammunition. A battalion of Marines with not one bullet and drove 10 miles through the boonies to the graveyard and didn't get issued ammunition till the next day. Wow. That's nuts. That's scary. Now, like I said, I'm an expert rifleman and pistol, both. If anybody should have ammunition, I should have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't have any. That had to have been scary. You're scary as hell. We're in a combat zone with no ammunition and going through one of the most volatile areas in Da Nang, South Vietnam. Mm. They could have wiped out a battalion of Marines in a heartbeat. Yeah. That's crazy. That's stupidity. Yeah. That's just plain ass stupidity. Yeah, and going back to the, um, going back to being being proud and, you know, mm. standing for something, it's, you know, that brings up the whole, um, the <clears throat> whole football situation of kneeling mm-hmm. during the, in, you know, I I understand that, you know, freedom of speech, people can protest, but I feel like what what the national anthem stands for and and why they play at a games, um, it, it's I feel like it symbolizes the the reason why you're able to be at a football game, mm-hmm. to be a professional football player, to be at any sport or anything like that is is because of the sacrifices that were made is the reason why. We're able to have these, uh, you know, these extra curricular activities mm-hmm. that you can do and not have to deal with it. You know, any bullshit is because of those sacrifices, and that's why I feel it's being played. and And to take advantage of that situation, the way that they are, um, 
I mean, I understand that you, you have a voice, but that, that's not that's not the time and place to do it. It's not the and that's venue. what pisses me off. Yeah, it's not the venue to do it. But they're, they're playing to a large crowd because they're being televised. Mm-hmm. you got 100,000 or so people in the stands. So they can take a kneel and protest, which I understand now it's changed from this to this to this to this. The protest keeps changing. From Nobody even their, knows what it is anymore. Yeah, they don't know what it is. But... I think it's very disrespectful to every combat veteran, every World War One, World War Two veteran, Korean, whatever, that's died fighting for this country. I see on the internet, I've seen people disrespect the flag, burning it, standing on it. And I, I say to other people, you take that flag and go to Washington, D.C. and stand in front of the Capitol, call everybody out, all the White House staff, everybody, all the politicians, burn that flag, wipe your ass with that flag, stomp on that flag. You're going to be lucky if you get one person to say something to you. Mm -hmm. They don't care. They could care less. Bring the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and the United States Marines. Draw them all together. Wipe your ass with it, burn it, stomp on it. You're going to get the worst ass whipping you ever had in your life. Mm-hmm. You're going to stomp your ass into the ground. Because it, that flag means something to the military. When you, when in World War II, when you took ground, you planted the American flag. You're fighting under that flag. You're fighting for your country. And for these guys, these overpaid babies, to take a knee and say, I'm being mistreated or my fellow man black is being mistreated. Get off your damn knees and go do something about it. Go to go to Chicago where they got multiple killings. And take some time, go to Chicago and and uh, do something about that. Mm-hmm. Educate the black. kids help these kids out so they're not joining gangs and and whatever. But do something. Don't don't sit there and take a knee and say, you know, th- this is uh, in protest of p- police brutality on blacks. Yeah. Or any uninformed race. Yeah. Of where because it's coming from everywhere. I mean, sure. I mean, the the, 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 prom- the black players are prominent in, in kneeling right now, but it's, you know, the, the, the black-on-black violence a- in Chicago and the, the neighborhoods mm. that need to be cleaned up that are primarily... Mm of color and you know but there's also white people there there's also hispanics there's also it's it's informing people and letting them know to make the right decision and is a protest gonna do it i, I mean it could bring attention but there has to be action behind it turns attention. me off and it turns a lot of other people off well, the, the me, protest like I'm, I'm not a football fan but no. when i saw that they were kneeling i didn't care what for I mean, they could be kneeling for their grandmother. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I refuse to watch a football mm-hmm. game, you know, of, of my choice of turning a football game mm-hmm. on. If a game was already on, okay, I'd watch it, but I, I wouldn't, I refuse to turn a game on because mm-hmm. of, I mean, my majority of my family has come from a military background. So mm-hmm. that's disrespectful to me, even though I'm not in the military, mm-hmm. but I know what it means to you and to mm-hmm. my stepdad and to my real dad and mm-hmm. to, to, Everybody who's been in the military, and that's why it pisses me off. And but I feel, I feel like the uh, the flag 
has just become so materialized nowadays yeah. too. I mean, I it's just a piece of cloth. It, exactly. <laughs> and and I think what pissed me off even more too was that uh, like at a we were at a parade um, years back, but we were at a parade and they they were handing out these little mini flags. Yeah. And I took the mini flag and I looked at it and it said made in China on it. Mm-hmm. And right there I just go this isn't what it's this this isn't what it's supposed to be. Right. I'm not supposed to be waving a flag, American flag that says made in China. Yeah. We should be we should not only be proud of where we're from and in our country, but we should also we should also be just proud to produce things out of here and be able to like I don't know I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. I just I just feel like there's so much now that's materialized and I feel like everybody's attention is in so many different places. Which has given us podcasts and, mm-hmm. and art and, and all this other things, but I feel like every everybody's out for the quick buck. Mm-hmm. Everybody's out to make it quick and fast, and there's no patience anymore, and there's there's no uh, attention to to detail. Everybody everybody just wants to get it done. Everybody wants to do it. Everything is is so uh, you know satisfactory right now. I, mm-hmm. I need it done. Everybody's uh, you know, attention span has shrank, and I feel like back then, when when you were a kid and everything, I feel like that, that that's all you had was your attention to things because there you didn't have all the, the no. distractions that we have nowadays. And um, you know, sometimes I think about it, and sometimes I wish I I grew up in something like that to where it really kind of made you use your imagination and 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 come up with different ways to entertain yourself or things to do and but then sometimes I, I'm glad I kind of came up in, to where I am because I'm semi somewhat tech savvy and yeah. you know and I've been able to play paintball and, and travel the world and see things and um, but I think that's how it goes you know in every generation too <clears throat> is that uh, you know Tiff's grandma she goes well I, I, I wouldn't be addicted to those phones and I wouldn't do this and I would do well I was like well you know what if you know what? If, if nowadays, if there wasn't the internet and all you had was a wooden wheel and a stick, that's what the popular thing would be. Mm-hmm. If back then you guys had cell phones, that's what the popular thing would be, and you would do it. And it, and that's but that's what time does, right? That's what as time goes on, technology grows and technology grows because humans, human beings, think differently. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a different way of looking at things, and and that's why we have you know eternal knowledge in our hands at the mm-hmm. click of a button that's why you can ask Alexa that comes on <laughs> over there that's why you can do that it's because there are so many uh, different people out there with different thoughts and mm-hmm. and um, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this tangent well I but... think well I think you got a good point back when I grew up the kids all played together you didn't you didn't have the kids sitting at, at home playing with his cell phone or playing the video game or whatever. He was all out playing together. Mm-hmm. So you had more interconnection with everybody. Neighbors knew everybody. Uh, back then, you didn't walk on somebody's grass. Yeah. You walked on your grass, you got home, you got your butt beat because the neighbor called your mom and dad and said, he cut across my grass. Mm-hmm. You didn't walk on somebody's grass. Respect. Just respect. Yeah. And because you, the kids were all, the neighbors knew everybody, you knew each other, the kids all knew each other, you had neighborhoods. You don't have neighborhoods anymore. You have individuals living in individual houses. 
you don't know your neighbor. I knew within one city block, there were 50 kids. We all played hide and go seek, we played baseball, we played football, whatever, but in one block it was 50 kids. Mm. Well, our house and the house across the street made 25 of them because the neighbor across the street had 15 kids. So we never had a problem playing ball out in front of the house. <laughs> That's a whole football yeah. game right there between, yeah. But, you know, and so everybody knew everybody and, and you got along with everybody. You weren't fighting with your, I can't ever remember anybody fighting with the, with neighbors, kids fighting with kids or neighbors fighting with neighbors, anything like you have today. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, everybody's an individual today because they've got their own interest where you had a community interest back in the day yeah. during the 50s and the 60s, that I, the period that I grew up in. Yeah. See, and I think too with, with nowadays with the internet, it's weird because everybody wants to be so individual. Everybody has an Instagram or Facebook account, yeah. which is very individual but it's public and you put stuff on there to go public so you feel connected with everybody so it's like this false sense of connectivity yeah. I feel because it's not really it's it's not really a face-to-face conversation it's it's there's this wall this glass wall there you know that you're getting this interaction with but you're not let's say now to the now you can say negative things because From behind a keyboard. Yeah, because you're hiding behind that keyboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that mm. and that's huge to me. It's like I, I don't, and, and everybody has that capability. Mm-hmm. They can just do that, and there's no consequences to it. And um, you know, you know, thinking about the kids, and I, I especially have been thinking about it now with Cooper, who's almost two years old. Um, but even thinking about you know Kira, Riley, and and uh, and, and Maddie, my sister's kids. Um, you know, what they're going through right now, mm-hmm. you know, and the stories that Kira, who's 12, going to be going to be 13, the stories that she's told me about some of the things that she's experienced already of, of she's getting ready to go into high school that she's experienced with some of her friends and, and the things that she's seen already. And I'm like, I didn't see that until I was 17, 18 years old and having mm-hmm. to deal with the things that she's had to deal with. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's because of the Internet and it's because of these parents that are letting their kids have this this landmine of information, yeah. and uh, you can go anywhere with it. And it, I think it gives these kids this false sense of confidence and this false mm-hmm. sense of knowledge, because well, well, I saw it online, so I'm desensitized. What, or I saw this, or I saw that, or it doesn't affect me, or it, mm-hmm. and and it brings I feel like everybody's respect level down for oh, each yeah. other, and it's it's. It's scary because I feel like it, we're so technologically advanced nowadays and everybody's pushing for everybody's voice gets heard mm-hmm. and everybody's, you know, everybody's opinion gets heard and, and you know, everybody's pictures, you know, are seen. But uh, but I feel like we're just we keep going. We're going backwards. Yeah. And sooner or later, I feel like that 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 is going to fracture and everybody's not going to know what to do because we won't have the internet. The internet will go down. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine if the internet went down or, you know, for more than a day or or if the inter I mean, I heard talks of the internet being restricted to certain websites which could be a possibility or like it's almost somebody's freedom now that they feel like they're entitled to won't be there. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, what did everybody before us do that? I, I feel like everybody's <laughs> yeah. so focused on the future of what could be or what mm. should be. Nobody looks back and goes, well, you know, human beings are so much more capable of surviving on basics than what people think. I think everybody needs that attention now so much when, you know, your, your thoughts, I mean, people go crazy, obviously, um, you know, there's people out there that go crazy with their thoughts and oh, everything, absolutely. but you could, you could just, you know, having a conversation with somebody, a face to face conversation instead mm -hmm. of a phone call or a text or you, you, you have to think about it. It can go a long way, mm -hmm. I feel. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking about it more and more. I've been trying to, uh, I want to raise awareness for, um, for nursing homes, uh, mm. just because, uh, Tiff, Tiff worked in a nursing home. She kind of saw firsthand of, of the mistreatment and everything. And that's, those are, those are our grandparents. Those are our yeah. great grandparents. And those are people who have paved the way for where we are today. And I feel like so much of the past is being forgotten because we're so focused on the future. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it, well, but it, I, I, I respect the hell out of you, and I, I feel like that a lot of it is 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 so much. There's so much disrespect now, and I, I want you to know that I look up to you. Well, I appreciate that, and um, you know, and I'm I'm so grateful for for what you did for not only the family, uh, for the country, for um, everybody that you've been involved with. You've been a great, you know figure to look up to going back to when you coach football and I you know I, I learned a lot from from you even though you might you might not mm. think it mm. but um you were a, a figure that I looked up to too and mm. kind of wanted to follow a path behind so I just wanted to I want to thank you well I appreciate that and then and I looked up to my dad uh, I would play Friday night football set up the music system, dance at the sock hop, go to Don's drive-in afterwards, get a hamburger and a pop, head home 11, 11.30 at night, dad be sitting in the living room, come on up back, I got something I wanna show you, help you out with your game a little bit. What dad does that? Mm -hmm. You know, they were at the game, um, aunts and uncles, cousins, everybody come to the game to watch you play. And then you, you come home and there's dad sitting there and come on out back. And dad was all city at Wade High School. Brother Arnie was all city at Wade High School. Yeah. And uh, so I had some people to look up to too. And when we were playing grade school football, we'd go watch the Wade football games. We, we got in as grade school teams and you mission was free. Mm -hmm. You sat as a group. You weren't running all over the stands playing and all this goofy stuff you see today. Yeah. You sat and you watched the football game. You had discipline. And now it's just Yeah. Do as you please. You know. Well yeah, I wanna you know, being a father now, I mean that's what I wanna you know, I wanna take that time and mm -hmm. and set aside those moments and I wanna cherish those moments of you know, even though he's two right now, he's still learning and everything, but it's just some of the small things. I mean he's right now he's a monkey. <laughs> where you monkey see monkey do kind yeah. of a thing so but it's you know it's it starts there you know and it starts doing the right thing now yeah. well just sitting reading a book with him or mm -hmm. you know uh, sitting watch a kids movie with him or something you know anytime that where you can spend time with your child 
Yeah. And um, unfortunately, even with my circumstances, I had difficulties trying to raise my children because of the divorces that I've gone through and so forth. So mm-hmm. it, it, it made it kind of tough. But now that I look back at it and what I could have done and what I didn't do, mm-hmm. I wish I could have done a whole lot more. But you have to look, I mean, and I, 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 I look at that too and I think about stuff that I, I may feel like I regret more mm-hmm. back and I go, you know what, well, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be the person I am today. You learn from it. You learn from it. Yeah. You know, every choice is a, is a learning and, um, you know, I have to be thankful, you know, for, for what I have today yeah. and the relationships that I have today. And, you know, whether you want to thank your God or whoever you want mm-hmm. to, I, I, I you know, I just I'm thankful that I that I have those connections. Still. You got a good family. Yeah. You know, you you got a good mother. Uh, you got brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, whatever. You know, it, uh, <clears throat> that care. I, I I drove up to Huron for the sibling get together, and <laughs> I went to pull out of the driveway and I had no brakes in my car. Or my brake line broke. Jeez. Squirting brake fluid all over the place. Instantly, Donnie says, take my car so you can get home. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't an hour later or two hours later. It was right then. Just take my car and, and go on home. Mm-hmm. And that's how we are. You know, when you need help, we're there. Yeah. And uh, so many, uh, I tell people, we went on a, a cruise with family. We've been on, we went down to Kentucky to the uh, state dock and rented a boat for seven days with Norma and Darlene and mom and mm-hmm. a group of us. And what are you doing going with your family? Why are you going? Because we have fun. Yeah. We laugh, we kid each other, we joke, we, you know, we cry together. We, you know, it's family. Mm-hmm. And they go, I don't do none of that stuff with my family. And that's sad. It is. Yeah, it's very sad. It is, and I think and I think the lessons that you learn <clears throat> from your siblings uh, and, and from your family makes you a better person. Sure. In the end, because you start treating other people like family, mm-hmm. and then now they feel better about themselves. And I and I you know I tell people this all the time: you know, not everybody grows up in a bigger family mm-hmm. or um, you know in good circumstances, but nothing positive comes out of a negative. So mm-hmm. you know if you. You have to just look at the positive, and you have to be positive as as much as you can, because it is contagious, you know. And I'm I'm very grateful to have the family that I do, and um, you know, to have you as a grandfather, and you know. I'd... Well, you got to treat other people the way you want to be treated. I I work for a millionaire, multi-millionaire, matter of fact, and I kid with you, I kid with Vicky and Carrie all the time, mm-hmm. whoever. I kid with him. He's not up here. He's right here at my level. Yeah. And I call him names. He calls me every morning. Yeah. We talk every morning. You guys have a relationship. And he'll say something derogatory to me, and I'll say something derogatory (laughs) to him, and he'll sit there and laugh. And but when I first met him, he was, his mother called me, wanted to have some work done. She says, "I'm Paul Hokanato's mother." I said, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> wow, phone went quiet. <laughs> I went, oh, I shouldn't have said that. 
But we tease back and forth. I pick up a cha paycheck at his wife's office. She's a chiropractor. I have to go into her office. Mostly black people working in her office. I have to hug everybody before I get my paycheck. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I yeah. mean, we just, I go in and I treat them nicely. They treat me nicely. I get all kinds of hugs. The cleaning lady that works for Paul, I get hugs from her. Mm -hmm. Every time I see her, it's, oh, geez, I haven't seen you in a while, and you got a hug. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I don't know why it is, but I just treat people the way I want to be treated, and I get good stuff in return. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the way it should be. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like it. You know, I, yeah. I think it's pretty neat. I like being liked. Yeah, I like yeah. being liked. <laughs> I don't like being disliked. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm sure Tiff's probably wondering where the hell I am. <laughs> but um, but I want to thank you again okay. so much for sitting down with me and, and kind of opening up a little bit and being able to conversate. Yeah, there's a lot more I'd like to have covered with you, but, you know, times are restricted. Restricted, right. and we can always do another one. Yeah, and I still got to do payroll yet tonight. <laughs> yeah, and I still right. got to eat dinner and everything, and yeah. so. Uh, but um, and no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed your, your questions, and uh, and hopefully filled in some things for you. Yeah, you out. Absolutely, and we'll we'll uh, we'll definitely do this again. And show you how crazy the world is, and yeah, how, how things are kind of goofy out there. Yeah, but no, I, I enjoyed it. But, oh, um, I'm going to tell you one more story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. About uh, when I got thrown in the brig in boot camp. <laughs> I got set back two weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm a brig rat. They're called a brig rat now. I get marched over to my new unit to Quant. They were Quantson huts. Mm -hmm. Knocking the door, sir. Private call reporting is over, sir. Grabbed me by the shirt, and in I went and slammed against wall lockers. My sea bag got tossed up in the air. All my clothes were all over the place. All my paperwork's flying everywhere, and I'm just bouncing off the lockers everywhere because I'm a, uh, they call them, shitbird. Yeah, I was a shitbird, regret, whatever you want to, was the names for you. Yeah. <laughs> Sergeant sitting down at the desk, picks up my paperwork and sits it in front of him. High scholastic scores, high physical readiness scores, high rifle scores. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now these same guys that beat the shit out of me in a battalion of Marines that go through boot camp, the top Marine in that will get a free set of dress blues and a gold medallion for being the top Marine out of that battalion of Marines. Mm -hmm. They went to the Commandant of the Marine Corps fighting to get me that dress blues and that gold medallion. But my brig time stopped me. I was the seventh Marine in Marine Corps history to be promoted from private to private first class after serving brig time in the boot camp. Really? Yeah, I was the seventh Marine in Marine Corps history. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I thought it was pretty neat. <laughs> and those guys fought to get me that. The same guys that beat the hell out of me. That's awesome. Yeah. But that's that camaraderie. That's the yeah. That that little tight knit group feel. Because usually, what the guys that went to the brig were, you know, they didn't they didn't give a damn. Yeah. They didn't want to be in there in the first place, <laughs> you know. And they usually get bounced out. But yeah, these guys fought for me and tried to get me to dress blues and try to get me to gold medallion. But my brig time stopped it. Hmm. Otherwise, I would have received the dress blues and the gold medallion. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Huh? Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
But when I got, as a matter of fact, uh, there's a picture in the peach section. I got it from back then. It showed me uh, getting my new rank, moving up from a private first class to, or a private to a private first class. Do you have any pictures? Hmm? Do you have any pictures? Mm-hmm. You mind if we take a look at them? Yeah. Okay, I'll give All right, everybody. We're going to get going. Thank you for listening. And, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, another big thank you to our sponsors. Dr. Paintball, like I said, P-L-A-Y-O-N at checkout, and you will receive a free bonus gift when you purchase anything over at uh, Dr. Paintball. Uh, also to Carbon, uh, who has the CC line coming out, the thermal pods, a backpack series, uh, a gear bag series, and don't forget about their packs are awesome, their base layers are awesome, and if you use the promo code capital T-P-O-P at checkout, you will receive 10% off your entire order. And uh, if you or your team is looking for a sponsorship next year, uh, make sure you hit me up, carl at carbonpaintball.com. We will get you going. We will talk and see what you all need and hook you guys up. Uh, brought to you by uh, Charm City Paintball as well. Like I said, we have a collaboration with the Pack Bands. Um, if you guys are interested in them, make sure you hit me up on... Uh, on the Instagrams or the Facebook and uh, we can get you guys with some of those he also has a Facebook as well uh, Charm City Facebook and headbands head wraps all kinds of cool stuff all kinds of unique stuff over there at Charm City and last Planet Eclipse who has the coolest mechanical marker out there right now the G mech I don't even know if that's the official name for it but make sure you guys check it out, planeteclipse.com. And to all of you out there, thank you again so much for listening. Very greatly appreciated. If you guys have any questions, have any you know, uh, guests that you would like me to have on, I'm going to have more episodes coming out very, very soon. Uh, please get a hold of me, uh, Carl uh, Microwave Markowski on Facebook and Carl underscore Markowski on Instagram. Thank you all so much. Greatly appreciate it. And we will see you again here soon on the Playing On Podcast. See ya.